Psalm 96, and we're continuing a series in the summer psalms, as we're calling it, um, just until everyone can get back from vacationing and the rest of it, uh, so we can begin a new series on vision and purpose for the church, what it means to be truly a follower of Jesus and how Bethel can continue to accomplish that. But for the summer season, here we go, Psalm 96. Why the summer psalms? Why this series? Well, at least in my own life, um, I have this uh, Peter Pan thing in me. I have this boyish dream of continually feeling free, desiring to be adventurous, um, desiring to be full of purpose, and I weave that all into my Christian walk, and I have a deep hunger to feel that way. Um, I want to be used by God. I want to be free from my anxieties and my grown-up sins, and I want to be a true adventurous person for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to feel right. How many of you are with me on that? I want to feel like I'm here for a reason. And so I am convinced it is a deep conviction in my own life that God has given us this book, the Bible, in this community, as the agents of that change, I do believe wherever you're at in life, you can know purpose, you can feel that sense of peace, experience that awesome transformative power of God, if you'll go to the book and ingrain yourself in the community of the church and go on this adventure with us. And so I want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself, that the Word of God in the community called the church that it become a rhythm in your life, that this is a normal thing to come and assemble, um, even in the summer months. Let's do everything we can to get together and praise our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been changed this morning through this experience of worshiping our God. And that transformation, becoming the person that we are designed to be, think about that thought. Think about the potential of just you. And all that God wants to do when he says, I want to make you like Christ. All that potential, all that transformative power, it all begins with the mind, guys. You say, where do I start? My life is shot. I, I would love that journey. I, I don't hardly feel like I know how to get on my feet. Well, it starts with the mind. Every repetitive thought that we think over and over and over and over creates a habit it kills a lie, and it becomes a bit of a second nature in our lives. So if we hear the word of God, if we sing the things of God, if we let God tell us who we are instead of the lies in our head and the culture to tell us who we are, then those lies will begin to be destroyed. So Paul writes to the Colossian church, the tearing down of strongholds in the mind, and God will be allowed to then convince us of who we are and how we should live, and that's when you'll start experiencing this powerful life. So as we hear the word of God, as we read the word of God, as we get together as friends and we talk about the word of God, as, as we sing and pray the word of God on the Lord's Day morning, we begin to think the thoughts of God himself. And that can only lead us to becoming beautiful souls. I went to the eye doctor this week. Uh, my wife drags me into these places. The eye doctor said, what brings you in today? I said, my wife. 
I said, I can see fairly well out of one eye. I don't know why I'm here. And, uh, and so he did the test. And guys, I mean, this guy, I'm, this guy's talking to me. This eye doctor's talking to me, and he's doing the test. And I'm talking about renewing the mind here and how God transforms a broken human life. He goes, okay, John, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a picture of a sunset and a road, and they're going to become two. And so one picture became two. And he goes, are they, are they fuzzy, and are they divided? I say, yeah. And I'm here thinking, yeah, just like my mind and God's mind. And I'm sitting getting excited in this eye doctor chair. And he's like, stop moving, son. (laughs) And then uh, he goes, I'm going to move them closer and closer and closer until they become one. And I'm like, yeah, that's right, man. That's exactly like Christianity. (laughs) Sit down, son. We got to do the eye test, you know. (laughs) And then it was so cool because the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, this is what I do day by day in this slow, messy journey called Christianity and the life of John. I'm just becoming closer and closer as I renew my mind to the likeness of God. My mind is, is, is aligning with his, and, and Lord knows that one day we'll be as close as we can to, to seeing the same, God and me, and then he'll take me to heaven. But that's the journey of the church. We want our mind and God's mind to get closer and closer and unify until we become reactionary Christians. The next time someone hurts you or, or how you deal with money or how you're looking at a relationship, you begin to see it through the, the mind of God. And so, in light of the many recent tragedies in our country, and the world is on fire, Here's my question to you, and here's how I want us to get the mind of God. How do you think cultural change should happen from a Christian perspective? Where is our mind at in light of God's mind on what's going on in the world? That's a big question. That's a challenging question. As you hear these news stories about attacks and what's going on in Turkey and in our own nation and and with race and racism and all the chaos going on, here's my question to you. How do you think cultural change should happen from a Christian perspective? It's easy to hate. Much easier. It's much easier to fight. It's a whole lot more empowering to blog and tweet and post. And probably the easiest thing is to grow apathetic and hardened because it's the new normal about the depravity of our culture. Romans 1, just listen as I read it. How do you view these problems and how do you think change should come Across, Because they exchange the truth about God for a lie. Because our world has pushed away God and worshipped and served the, the creature, the culture, humans rather than God, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. How do we deal with dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion one for another men committing shameless acts with men and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God God gave them up to a debased mind they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they were full of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness the list goes on this is our broken world this is who we are are and who we are wrestling with. 
This is where the collisions are coming from. We are in a world gone wrong. And as Christian people, how do we think change should happen? What part do we think we should be playing? Do you see how badly we need to get God's mind on this? And if we can begin to feel the pain, and that's, that's so important, this is in your insert, if we can begin to feel the pain of people in our culture and figure out why people do what they do, that's the key, getting in the skin of our culture and feeling the pain, wrestling through these issues with them until a heart breaks. You see, Jesus came and got into the skin of us to feel us. He knew if he could feel us, he would know how to deal with us. And so if we can begin to feel the pain of people in our culture and stop attacking and stop fighting but feeling, and we can begin to process and figure out why our culture does what it does, we can begin to develop a compassionate solution. And so what I want us to do in the the remaining time that we have this morning is I want us to renew our minds towards two things. And these two things are in your insert. We'll put them up on the projectors. I want us to renew our minds towards two things. I want us to first look at why people do what they do. And when I say people, it is not an us versus them. It's not a, well, we're Christian, we don't do this. I'm talking people. I want us to first look at why people do the things they do. And then I want us to look at how we can be a part of the change. I don't want to sit back. I want to be a part of the change. So let's work through the first one. And I'm going to call it the brokenness. The culture is looking for saviors. The culture is looking for saviors. This is why I believe, and I'm fully convinced, this is why the chaos happens in our world. The culture is looking for saviors. What do I, what do I mean by that? What if I told you that I honestly believe, in light of the Bible, that everything from terrorism to broken homes to my own personal problems are all stemming from this quest to find a savior. And so if we're going to see people correctly and we're going to help them, and by the way, if we're going to help ourselves, you have to understand what's going on in the hearts. And the psalmist in Psalm 96, oddly enough, seems to think that the world's problems, as complex as they are, you guys, can be healed through a savior. I mean, that, that almost seems cheap. You know, we're such, a, uh, we're, we're such a complex culture, and the problems are complex, but here's this ancient uh, remedy to a contemporary massive world global problem. Look at Psalm 96, and, and just look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Earth, people, humanity, cultures. If you want healing, you need to know the Lord. And it's like, well, no, no, come on. Come on this is why religion is cryptic and antiquated and it doesn't work anymore. Ah, but watch this. He goes into verse 3 and he says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. And we put those two verses together. Here's what we get. The Lord is the answer for the problems throughout all the earth. Well, we better prove this. 
And what he's saying is that all issues in our world are savior issues. Guys, don't lose me here. This is the fundamental truth that's changed my life. And really it was Tim Keller shoving it down my throat. The psalmist is saying that all of the battles, all of the problems, all of the, the brokenness in our world are savior issues. Every person wants to be saved from something. Do you get that? I want to be saved from dozens of things in my own life. People want to be saved from a feeling of insignificance, don't they? People all over the world, including us, people all over our great city, they want to be saved from a feeling of being powerless. Certain genders and, and certain, certain uh, economic uh, um, statuses and so forth, they feel powerless and they look for ways to be redeemed. They look for ways to be saved from those those feelings. People want to be saved from the feeling of shame. People want, want to be saved from a lack of feeling valued and accepted. You know, this is the core of why gangs exist. Everyone knows that. People are trying to be saved from the feeling of isolation and being neglected in families. And so what all of us do, what people throughout the whole world do, is people find something that will save them from insignificance, powerlessness, shame, a lack of feeling, feeling valuable, a lack of fitting in. We find created things and we try to use them to kill those things or save us from those things. That's what race is all about. That's what gender empowerment is all about. And these things aren't wrong until they're used as saviors. That's what sexuality is all about. Guys, that's what success is all about. I want to be redeemed from a feeling of not being valuable or accepted or successful or being seen. You know, we all just want to be seen, loved. So we can take something like success and we can say, if I just become successful, I'll be saved from that. Uh, beauty is another one. Oh, if I could just become beautiful. I got a brother, another pastor in the city. He's a great guy, and, and there's a new app for young ladies. This is just, this breaks my heart. It's a new app where you can take a picture, and you can change the way you look. About an app that just says you're beautiful. You're just beautiful the way you are. Or you can be noticed if you just look like this. You can be saved from in insignificance. That's what relationships can become. All these are good things until they become salvific saviors. I know when I was a, sing, a single person and, and I, I truly wanted um, a girlfriend and then to get married because it was saving me from this awkward feeling. Not wrong until you think it's going to save you because once you get married, you realize it didn't save you. And guys, you're just going to have to wrestle with what I'm about to say, but I honestly, with all my heart, believe if we truly looked at terrorism through the heart and what's going on there, it is a saving quest to feel power. It's fear-driven. And these things the Bible calls idols. Psalm 96, verse 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. Watch this, for all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. 
Which is to say, the reason he says, but, but the Lord made the heavens is stop looking to created things to rescue you from the brokenness in your heart. Only the Lord can save you from those things. These things bring a false hope. That if you serve them, if you bow down to them like the, the idols of old, you will no longer feel insignificant. You'll no longer feel powerless. You'll no longer be shamed. You'll, you'll no, no longer be under, uh, un, undervalued. I mean, I find myself on Facebook even wrestling with this. Like, man, let me show, let me show a little bit of this. You know what I'm saying? I got 30 likes on this thing. I'm like, you know, I got some self-esteem right now. You know what I mean? And we're a mess. The world's a mess. We need a savior. I almost ruined my life. I almost destroyed my life this way with baseball. Um, I was Johnny Baseball. Please don't ever call me that. Uh, Johnny Baseball is gone. Um, but I, I did. I almost destroyed my whole life. Because my family was so poor, and I was very good at baseball. I was very good at baseball. Um, and uh, they, there began to be talk. If I could just make the major leagues, I could rescue the family and all of this stuff. And this immense pressure was weighing on me. And baseball became my identity. It became my savior. But it really was a false idol. It really was enslaving me. I couldn't be free. I couldn't be free to be... To be average. I couldn't be free just to be John Maroos. I had to use this thing and never fail at it. And when I started breaking bones left and right, I started realizing I'm not going to be able to do this. And once baseball was gone and I knew I wasn't going to become a professional baseball player, my life spiraled out of control. I didn't know who I was. I lost my Savior. And when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Savior and you can be loved and valued by him every second and it is not based on your performance and you can never lose it. You can be free to be the mess called John Maroos. It's the greatest day of my life. Uh, this is what our world is going through. So when you see someone in this beautiful and precious city called San Francisco and they're struggling, look at their heart and why they're struggling and feel it. It's so easy for Christians just to, you know, no. And I think the coolest thing in the world, guys, the coolest thing in the world is that our culture knows that they need something more than these things to save them. Have you guys ever, how many of you guys are like uh, superhero movie people? Don't be ashamed. This is a totally safe place. This does not go on the internet. <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, I'm kind of, we're kind of Avenger people. Um, but think of the narratives. Think of the Thor narratives. Think of the Superman narratives. Think of the Avenger narratives. Think of the Lord of the... Are we good? Ah, there we go again. I'm so bad. Um, think of even the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King. Think of the narratives that are in the stories. We're storytelling people. We, we will always be storytelling people. There's always this story woven into our culture that says one has to come from another place and become like us, yet rescue us because we're powerless to an enemy. It's everywhere. And so if we're going to make a difference not only in our own lives, but in the world around us, we need to realize that the brokenness is coming from a culture that's looking in created things for saviors to rescue them. So what do we do about that? What do we do in our own lives, but what do we do in helping this world, this city, our community, our coworkers, our own homes? Well, number two, let's look at the healing. 
Um, it's amazing to me. We're called to introduce them to the real Savior. We're called to say, I, I understand that you've looked to that, you've looked to beauty, you've looked to money. I've been there before, but it wasn't until I met the real Savior that I truly felt peace. Psalm 96, verse 2. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation day to day. So we're to go into the earth and we're to tell of his salvation. You don't have to serve these, these idols, these created things to find value and, and to be acceptable and, and to, to get rid of shame. You can have a real savior who has the power to heal your heart through grace and love. Tell, tell. And what's so amazing to me is that ordinary struggling Christians are called in all of our ordinariness for the healing work in our world. Like bad, jacked up John Maroos is called to deliver this message. And here's why. Because it's not us. It's about the one who we're experiencing. Psalm 96, 3. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works all the peoples. Tell people, look, I've been there. I've tried to use beauty. I've tried to use success. I was angry just like you. I, I looked at race a certain way at, at one point, And it wasn't until I experienced the marvelous healing work of a true Savior that my heart has begun to heal. Did you notice something in verse 3? Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. Did you notice something in verse 1? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Did you notice something in verse 2? Sing to the Lord. He first tells us who are supposed to deliver the message of the Savior Jesus Christ to the broken. He first tells us to enjoy God. Because you won't proclaim what you don't prize. The most fundamental, the most wonderful, the, the, the first command for all Christians by this God is to enjoy him, is to celebrate him. In other words, I can say this, reaching other people is only going to go as far as your enjoyment of Christ because you only proclaim that which you prize. You know what it's like. Well, let's use social media. You get a new car, and it's like, you know, it's something cool. You got a new Audi, and I can't pronounce it because I can't afford it. And you got to put it on Facebook. Why? Because you prize it, therefore you praise it. And if you prize it, you want people to know about it. Now, if you got to buy a $600 car, you're not putting it on Facebook. You don't prize it. You're not praising it. That's why when people have a baby, you know, it's like all the pictures. That's why when, when someone, uh, man, am I losing this again? There we go. That's why when someone uh, uh, changes their relationship status on Facebook and it's like dating, you know, we want, we want people to see it. We want people to hear about it. So the concept, the, the, the psychology behind our spirituality is this. We will, we will declare, we will tell as much as we enjoy. That's why the first step to changing a culture is a healthy and vibrant and celebrating and praising and worshiping church. That's why people being saved always starts with our coming together and our worshiping as a church. We've got to increase our joy in God. And what a delightful thing to walk out of here with friends, 
as we've heard about Jesus and walk into that city and be so full of God that when you see someone who doesn't, it's almost survivor's remorse, you know? It's, it's almost that, how, how am I experiencing this? And you're not. Man, my heart is so full of joy right now. I want to tell you. My heart, it's, it's getting too full. It's spilling out now. We want to be a worshiping church. And it's not even necessarily through a big program that we, we tell people about Jesus. And I, I'm not against those things. But, you know, in our world, people hardly buy it. You know, let's create a big movement and banners and the rest. And it's not wrong. God does great things through it. But look what he says in Psalm 96 too. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation, what? From day to day. The natural kind of uh, outflow of our day-to-day lives as we enjoy what Jesus has done in our own lives is to see those who are experiencing a life without Jesus and weave into their stories and build relationships with neighbors and coworkers and people at coffee shops. And as we build that trust, we begin to tell them. From day-to-day means that this is a natural rhythm woven into our lives. We enjoy God. We build relationships with those around us. We tell them how we are finding healing through the real Savior, Jesus Christ. We worship, we experience the joy of God's grace, and then we go back into our realms and we get into the story of the hurting. Can I show you something quickly? Oh, Acts 2, hurry, you gotta hurry, meet me there. Acts chapter 2, if I'm a little long, I'll make lunch for you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now watch what happens here. The church comes together, and here's what happens. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they heard the word of God and the fellowship. And that doesn't mean, you know, uh, watered-down punch, stale cookies in a basement. That means getting into each other's lives, to the breaking of bread, celebrating the grace of God through communion, and praying together, the prayers. Watch what happens when they came together. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. And all who believe were together. There it is again, together, together. And all had things in common. So they were belling each other out. And they were selling their possessions and belonging. And they were holding BBBB. And distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, here it is again, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes. They had a small group program. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were celebrating together the the grace and joy of God, praising God. Now watch this. The world should hate Christians. Well, I get that. Watch this. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Like the people said, they're making our city better. When we see them, they bless us. When they come into muddies, we're blessed. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. So through coming together, worshiping, enlarging the worship until their hearts were full of joy as a community called a church, they were going out and they were naturally building relationships within their city and getting into those people's stories and telling them what's happened to them. Man, I know it sounds weird, but I met this Jesus and I, I know that's kind of freaky at first, but it's, it's, he's changing my life. And I don't mean to freak you out, but if you ever want to know about this, I'd love just to sit down and just talk. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm terrible at this because I'm a pastor. I mean, I don't walk down, you know, Mission or up in Noe Valley just evangelizing. I'm terrible. I get in, I put my headphones on, I sit and fills with my Bible. 
And this is to me. And so the cool thing is, guys, we're engaged in hundreds of secular realms. We will leave here and we will enter into hundreds of, of secular realms from, from sports to school to college to neighbors to, to different nonprofits to work, to coffee shops, to rallies and movements. There's an HIV rally going on, I think, in the city even today. We've got all these realms but here's what I want to encourage you with. And this is so hard to remember. And this is why we need to do this through as a community and encourage each other to remember this. The realm is always secondary. Compassion is primary. And man, we've got to pray for each other to remember. It's not about me sitting down in a coffee shop and getting work done or going back to my home and, in a city out, uh, outside the city and getting comfortable. It's about going into those realms and looking for the broken hearts of those around us. And San Francisco is a city of refuge. People come here thinking that they can find a place that will embrace them and accept them. They are hurt from religion they are hurt from a world gone wrong. And from the 60s, this has always been the city of refuge. And so trust, guys, trust for many is shattered towards religion. And so we need to build beautiful, trustworthy relationships with those who are in our realms. Love them. Do good to them. The nonverbal message in those circles is going to shape how they hear our verbal message of Jesus Christ. And so we look for the idols that people are wrestling with. Wrestling with. We look for the saviors that people are trying to use to find salvation from the brokenness in their heart. We build relationships with them. We build trust with them. As hard as that is, we do it as a community. We pray for each other. We share these adventures with each other. And we look for that friendship opportunity to share our own journey and the true message of the true Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to leave us with a challenge. And I'm challenging my own heart. I'm writing this down, and I'm praying daily for this. It's right there at the bottom of your insert. Studies say that each of us has 8 to 15 people that God has placed in our relational world. Whether they be at the coffee shops or the doctor's office where you go or the workplace or the homeless person on the street, there are 8 to 15 people that we're consistently coming into contact with. So my challenge to me, my challenge to every one of us, and we baptized 8 people or something like that last Sunday. We could see this over and over and over again. Lives changed. If all of us would do our best and pray and work together and encourage each other to identify those 8 to 15 people in our lives and begin to pray for them, ask God for opportunities to talk with them about Jesus Christ, build friendships with them, bring them to church. Yeah, I'll sit in the back pew with you. What will take off immediately after, because I know it's, you know, it's probably weird. But just do something to get into their story, to hear their pain, and to share your own testimony. I want us to begin praying together for God to give us this type of burden for those secular realms and these hurting people in our world, and this is how we become a part of the solution.